Father, we pray that as we spend time meditating on your word now, well, that we would see uh, Christ. As we see him, as we see you revealed, Lord, that we would be filled with the love, the love that you have for us, and through that love that we would love uh, one another. Lord, may your love be complete in us today. Amen. Well, it's good to see you again. We're back. We had a lovely time on holiday in Scotland when we got back. Uh, posted some photos to Facebook because that is what you do. Certainly if you're of my generation and you're not into TikTok. So um, we, we put some photos on, on Facebook. And one of the things that people commented on was how much they thought Orla looked like Tanya. Various comments of, oh, this is, this is Tanya's mini-me. Doesn't she look like her mum? Which is probably a step up in the world from when they used to say she looked like me. (laughs) That was a very definite laugh there, Dan. Um, So when we lived in Baldock, Orla was a baby, and going around Tesco's, and a complete stranger comes up to us and says, oh, can tell who's the dad there, can't we? Looks just like you, just like your dad. Tempted to respond facetiously, pretending I was an uncle or something, but I didn't anyway. Looks just like her dad, maybe because at that point Orla didn't have any hair. But it's, it's one of those things people love to comment on, family resemblance. Things that are obvious, they love to comment on the blatantly obvious. The question is, as Christians, do people say that about us? Do they recognize that family resemblance? Do they look at us and say, don't they look like God? Don't we see the life of God in these people? As you probably know, we're continuing our series in Wong John. Wong John, this sort of letter-come-written sermon that's written to a community of believers, to the church, to assure them of the truth. There are various lies and deceptions that are going around various different claims. Uh, And this is written to assure God's people of the truth, that they are in the truth, that they have eternal life. One of the things as we've worked through Wong John that we see, it's not, it's not simple, it's not linear in the way that things are presented. You get these themes that are circled back around to, and there's a sense of amplification, and we're coming back again to a topic that has been brought up several times. We looked at it a few weeks back, we looked at it towards the beginning of our series in Wong John this call, this command to love one another. See, family resemblance in the Christian life, it's not seen in the length of our hair, in the color of our eyes, in how broad our smile is. It is seen in the depth of our love for one another. So this morning, as we go through this passage, it's a short passage, there's just one heading that's going to guide us. Let us love one another. So do have your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 4. Thank you, Noah, for reading that to us. It is somewhat of a tongue twister, isn't it, John, with all these loves. Love, 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 love. But what is a theme? A theme is one of love. We are going to look, begin at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. This is the command of love. See, it's a command that comes from a place of love. 
Dear friends or beloved, it's a command that is spoken in love and it is a command that directs us to love. Let us love one another. As we come back to this theme that we looked at a few weeks back in chapter 3, is the children of God. How should the children of God live? By loving one another. Let us love one another. Why? Well, as verse 7 continues, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. See, love is this family characteristic. Love comes from God. In fact, God is love. And so if we, if we are God's children, there's this expectation that something of that family resemblance should be seen among us. Loving one another is not this optional extra. And maybe you've heard the phrase at times where people have said, I love Jesus, but not the church. And there are various reasons why people may say that. And sometimes that is born from a pain and a hurt of things that they have experienced. And in those times, we need to come alongside these people. We need to come alongside with compassion and with patience but we're not to leave them in that place. See, an attitude that says, I'm not concerned with, with loving the church, and by the church, we're not talking about an institution, we're talking about a body of believers. See, an attitude that says, I'm not going to love the church, well, that just doesn't square with what Scripture tells us. There is something that is seriously wrong in that. Maybe we'll look at that a bit more next week. We are to love one another, and it's not that loving one another is easy. We're not necessarily the most lovable of people, but love is not optional. See, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You don't choose the family characteristics. You don't choose those family resemblances. See, we claim to be part of a family, and we don't share in that resemblance and we might need to question, do we really belong to that family? Or are we kidding ourselves? Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so, dear friends, beloved, let us love one another. But what is love? Now, we're called to love one another. What does it mean to love what is love? Well, we just read it in verse 8, don't we? God is love. It's not that love is God, but God is love. See, God defines what love is. If we want to know what love is, what it means for us to love one another, then we need to look to God. Who God is. Last week, Andrew talked about uh, Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. There are many people, there are many groups who will say, well, I believe in Jesus. Yes, but is it the Jesus of the Bible? That was the question we were asking last week. And it's the same with love. People will speak of love. People will believe in love. People will prioritize. They will praise love. But what is meant by love? Is it love as it is revealed in the Bible? Is this a love that is defined by God? God is love. When we get our definition of love, does it come from God's self-revelation through the scriptures, or is it a love of our own imagining? 
Now, if you, if you ask most people, do you believe in God? And they say yes. And you say, well, what do you think God is like? I think most people, certainly in our culture, will probably respond with, well, well God is God's loving, isn't he? God's love. I think God is a God of love. What do people mean by that? And if you press and you dig down to it, we'll probably distill it down to, by love, what people mean is that God will give me what I want. When I say that, that God is love, it means ultimately I will get what I want. And yet when we consider that getting what I want so often is destructive to me and destructive to others, that actually getting what I want is not the best thing, it's not the most loving thing. Now we need to recognize there's, there's a tendency, there's a trait in every single generation that we assume that we are the people who have all knowledge, that the way that life is now is the way that's going to continue forever, that we are informed, that we are enlightened, unlike our so-called ignorant forebears. The reality is, every generation, we are like infants who are crying out, if you love me, you would let me play with that chainsaw. And we are ignorant of what is good for us and what is good for others. And any definition of love that comes from ourselves, that comes from our own culture, is ill-informed and is lacking. We read here, God is love. And our definition of love has to come, not from within us, but from God. And God's definition of love is not giving us whatever we want. God's definition of love is the giving of himself. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, and we need to remember, especially as we've got younger people who are joining us, it's good to remind ourselves of this too, that when the Bible speaks of, of God's Son, it's not speaking of this being that is separate from God. The Son of God is not less than God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So when it speaks of God giving His Son, this is God giving of, him very, of His very self. This is how God shows His love among us. He sent His one and His only Son. His one and his only son, his unique, the perfect son, who's in perfect fellowship with the Father. He's sent into the world that we might be brought into that fellowship, that we might, as we read here, live through him. That we might live through Christ, that we may share in the life of the Son. And in all this, it's not that God is lacking. See, God doesn't send the Son into the world. The Father doesn't send the Son because he is somehow lacking in his experience of love because he's lonely. It's not that God is love, but he has no one to love, and so he needs us to, to love him, that he may love us and we may love him. There is perfect love and there is perfect fellowship within the Trinity. There was no lack on God's part. There wasn't a, a lack in terms of relationship. There was no loneliness there's not a lack in terms of riches. 
God doesn't send the Son into the world because he needs to be enriched. It is for our enrichment that we have life in him, that we have life through Christ. God gave of himself that we may gain God himself. See, it is us who gains in this, and this is how God shows us his love. Not by giving us whatever we want, but by giving us his very self. And in those times where you may find yourself wondering, how can I know that God loves me? As we go through different circumstances in life, we go through painful circumstances, perplexing circumstances. And this question looms over us, how can I know that God loves me? The situation I'm in just doesn't make sense. I can't see how God loves me with the things that I'm going through. As we ask that question, do not look at your circumstances. Because we cannot discern, we cannot interpret those circumstances clearly. We only see in part. See, in those moments, even in the deepest place of pain and perplexity, when we are pressed with this question, how can I know that God loves me? Don't look to your circumstances. Look to Christ. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. If we want to know how and where God's love is shown, if we want to know that God loves us, look to Christ. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And this is how love is defined, not that we love God, but that God loved us. Love takes the first step. Love takes the first step. It's not that we love God. God was not responding to something that was going on within us. It's not because of something that we've done. The heart of God is not stirred by our affections. The heart of God is stirred within himself because of who he is. And God doesn't change. The theologians speak of the immutability of God. Uh, And by that word, it just means the unchangeableness of God. God is one who doesn't change. God will never be, he can never be less than who he is. And that is good news for us because who God is, is glorious. We wouldn't want him to change. This is the God who reaches out to us. God's love, it is not a response. It has never been and it will never be dependent upon you. It is not dependent upon our pitiful and frail and finite affections towards God. The love of God is dependent upon the abundance of himself. Now that should come as a great comfort to us. I don't know if you found yourself ever in that place where your affections towards God seem shallow and seem cold. You feel like you're distant from God. Many other things have distracted you and have taken your attention. You've taken your eyes off Christ. Wandered into sin. And in that moment, 
as something is stirred within your heart and you think, I need to come back to God. I need to turn to him. And there's that voice. And there's that thought that says in those moments, how dare you? How dare you even consider that? An apology is not enough. Why would God listen to you? Why should he turn to you? Now, when you have turned so far from him. And in those moments, you know, when that thought, when those words come to your mind, now know this, that God's affection towards you is not measured by your affection towards him. It never has been, and it never will be. It's not that we love God. He loved us. You cannot put out the fire of God's love. You can turn away from it. You can walk away from it. But you cannot quench the eternal burning fire of his love for you. And so in those moments, when that voice, when that thought speaks like that, those thoughts that say, you are unworthy and God will not respond. You know, they speak a half-truth. We are not worthy. But it was never based on our worthiness. God's response is not because of something within us. God's compassions have never been stirred by us. They are stirred within himself. And so you can come. Do come. God calls you to come. And as you come, come in repentance, but come with confidence. Come with confidence that God will not turn you away. Because his affection towards you is not measured, it is not limited by your affection towards him. In fact, it works the other way around. See, sin would work to keep us from God, but God works to take away our sin. Verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, love takes the first step, but it doesn't stop there. Love takes the first step, and then it keeps on going. Love keeps on going. Love keeps on working so that we might receive, so that we might reciprocate that love. See, God took that first step. The love of God took that first step, but it didn't stop there. It went all the way as far as it needed to go. And as far as it needed to go was all the way to death, to the point of death on a cross. To the point of Jesus being this atoning sacrifice for our sin. The love of God went all that way for us, as Jesus took on himself our sins, all that would legitimately bar us and keep us from God. He took on that sin. He took on the curse in order that we might have life and life in him. In order so that the calloused and hardened hearts that we have might be replaced by a heart that is able to receive and to reciprocate the love of God that we might, verse 9, Live through him. 
See, this is how the love of God is shown. This is how the love of God is defined. It is a love that is given without consideration of worth or merit. It is a love that takes the first step. It is a love that keeps on going. And so this is how we are to love one another. This is a definition of love. This is what it means to bear the family resemblance. And so verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And we return to this command from verse 7, to love one another. But now it's been fleshed out with this definition of love. What is love? We look to God. We see what love is. This love that we have received and we are to love one another. Verse 12 draws all this together. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The opening words of that verse parallel uh, the opening chapter in John's gospel. You'll see on the screen in John chapter 1 verse 18, we read, No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. See, no one has seen God. God is invisible to our sight. We don't see him, and yet we're told here in John's Gospel that in Christ, the invisible is made visible. The God who we cannot see is seen in Christ. As we look to Christ, we see the invisible. And then later in John's gospel, as John speaks to his disciples, John 13, verse 34, says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. Then verse 35, by this, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And so here in this passage in 1 John verse 12, it's as though those strands are drawn together. See, the life of Christ in his disciples is seen as we love, as we care for one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. In Christ, the invisible is made visible. God is seen. So as we love one another, though no one has seen God, now his life, his presence is seen manifest among his people, we are known as disciples of Christ. And God is seen amongst us. As we speak about it, Kingfisher, and what we're called to be, the people of God's presence, living, expanding for his glory, and his presence is seen as we love. As we love, as we read in this passage. And so God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That completeness speaks about reaching its goal. Love reaching its purpose. You see, love is given for a purpose. Grace is given for a purpose. God gives himself for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring us into his family in Christ. That we might share in that family resemblance. That family resemblance of loving one another. Dear friends, let us love 
one another. Love that is defined by God. Love that takes the first step. A love that keeps on going. A love that perseveres. But that's a love that we are called to. And what might that mean? How, how might that look then for us? How might it look for you? To take that first step. A love that takes the first step. Now reaching out to those who we don't immediately click with. Who are different to us. Reaching out to someone that we haven't seen for a while. We don't know how they are. Are they still walking with the Lord? Taking that first step, that, that awkward step. Potentially embarrassing step. Might be a painful step. Taking a step to someone who's disappointed us. Or has hurt us in some way. Taking that first step, not because that person is necessarily deserving, but that is because that is what love does. Love takes the first step. And then it keeps on going. And it perseveres. To the point of laying down our lives. And that's not necessarily giving others what they want. Touched on briefly. Now, giving people what they want isn't necessarily what is best, what is needed. It's not necessarily giving others what they want, but it is the giving of ourselves for the good of others. Now, that might mean having difficult conversations. And difficult conversations in love, as we see, as we recognize, perhaps we're straying from the truth. Difficult conversations, maybe in ways that we have been hurt, and we need to reconcile relationships. Now, it might mean that you have to own up to your own guilt and apologize without immediately pointing to the fault of others. Of being able to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, without the, but you did. It might mean spending of our time, of our resources, of our attention. There's a whole myriad of ways that it might be seen and it might get manifest. Different situations are going to look slightly differently. But what it will mean is us laying down our own interests and looking to the interests of others. And that's... That's how our needs and our interests are met, not by us seeking to meet them ourselves, but as we each seek to meet the needs and the interests of others. And yet, you know what, perhaps this seems too much. An unrealistic expectation. And the thing is, if we define love as the Bible defines love, as God defines love, as love is seen... It will seem unrealistic. In fact, it will be impossible. It is not something within our own resources and human capability uh, that we can live. 
And so in those moments, even a moment now, perhaps there are things that are being highlighted in your life that are challenging you. How do we respond? When the coolness of our hearts is exposed, how do we respond? Don't mistake a thermometer for a thermostat. Don't mistake a thermometer for a thermostat. You know, if you're in your house and your house is cold, a thermometer will alert you to that fact, but it is going to do nothing to change the temperature. You can stand, you can stare, you can focus all your energy on that thermometer and it is going to achieve diddly squat. If the house is cold and you want it to warm up, you need to turn up the thermostat. See, when we find that our love is cold, when it's shallow, we are not going to rouse love from ourselves through our own effort. See, the fires of love are not stoked within the chambers of our own hearts. Our love, it is a thermometer. It is not a thermostat. Where does love come from? Look back at verse 7. Love comes from God. When the room is cold, you don't turn to the thermometer, you turn to the thermostat. When the love of our hearts is cold, we don't turn to ourselves, we turn to Christ. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through The love of God takes that first step. The love of God keeps on going to meet us, even in the coolness of our affections, that we might share in his consuming love, that we might live through him. Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And as we read in chapter 1, that as we confess, because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, that as we confess even the coldness and the shallowness of our love, our love for God, our love for one another, as we confess that God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. See, the fire of God's love burns to consume the dross within our lives. Now, in order that we might be remolded that we might be made afresh into that image, renewed into the image of Christ. So as we find our heart is cold, our answer is not to come to ourselves, not to turn within ourselves, but to come to God. And again, to come in repentance, but to come with a confidence to come with that confidence that he's not going to turn us away. It's not that we loved us. No, we loved him, but he loved us. In order that we might share in the life of his son, that we might live through him. God's love reaches out. God's love continues. It goes on. 
it perseveres in order that we might share in the family resemblance. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your love. Lord, your love towards us is not because we are worthy, not because we are deserving, but we praise you is because of who you are. Lord, and the great confidence that that gives us, Lord, that we can come before you. Lord, with all our, our failings, Lord, in the many ways that we've disappointed ourselves, let alone fail to live to your standards. Lord, that we can come before you with confidence, not on the basis of what we have done, but because you are the God who is kind, who is merciful, Lord, who is abundant in love. Lord, as we pray and as we confess that we have failed to love one another, Lord, in the way that you have loved us, we have failed to love you in the way that is deserving of who you are. Father, we ask not only would you forgive us, but that you would, you would purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, that we would increasingly share in the family resemblance as we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Lord, that your love may be complete in us. Lord, and that we may live in him increasingly more and more, just as you have purposed. Lord, may Christ be glorified in us. Lord, may your presence be known. Lord, and may you be seen and praised. Amen.